0: So, thanks for being here, whether you're in the room or watching online, we miss those of you who aren't with us, but really glad, I think Mallory hit the nail on the head earlier, the miracle of our gathering, and the fact that our God transcends all of that, that to be His body, whether you are with us in the room or watching online, but are with us, uh, We are the body of Christ, and so what a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then to just be reminded this morning as we sing about the reckless love of God, you know, when that song first came out, like all all of us theologians who sit in our ivory towers and, you know, read and stuff, you know, we're like, well, is it reckless? Is that really, you know? But if you think about it, Scripture talks about it being scandalous because in a sense from our... 21st century point of view, it is reckless to, as Jesus taught us in the parable of the sheep, right, that when he leaves the 99 to go after the one, it does, it feels reckless, doesn't it? That you would leave the larger group in search of that one lost sheep, and yet that's the way that our God thinks about you and I, even in the Old Testament, we read of him singing over his children. And so I don't know where you're at today, but no matter what's going on in your life, that can encourage you today. Amen? That your God loves you. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you, you don't know the Lord. You're searching for something in the midst of this interesting time that we live in. And I'm, I'm glad you're here as well. I want to walk you through some things today that I think will help you. But, you know, over the past few weeks, I've, I've loved watching all of you, whether you're online or uh, in the room, just be the church. It's been fun, you know, for all the, for all the bad that social media can bring. It's fun because we get to see what's going on in each other's life. And so many of you have been connecting with each other, you know, outside and distance, of course, and all the things. But it's been just fun to watch that and then even as you have come together and so many of you wrote cards to the teachers at Rampello and so many of you gave to the gift card fund of that or brought a gift card and just a lot of different things that you've been doing and then again this coming Saturday just to be able to redeem an event that the world uh, celebrates at Halloween and just to redeem that and And be the church in that and just using the avenues, the channels that God opens for us. And so uh, just really excited about that. And let me encourage you, if you uh, want to be a part of that, to to be a part of that. It'll all be outside. I don't know if we've mentioned that yet, but um, the thing at Rivercrest Park and then the thing at uh, the Coon House, our house, it's all outside. So um, we'll have we'll have plenty of space to spread out and do all the things, but you can still get involved. You can bring candy, put it in the box. You can uh, donate on the Vision Out. That's what the Kuhn family did. You know, if you don't got time to go to the store, give it online <laughs> and just do it that way. So, but thank you for all of you just being the church, and you know, even all the way in Ethiopia, the people we support, just watching them. Continue to be the church in a just a strange time and just bring joy and hope and life and beauty to that place. And just God's been so good, even in the midst of this crazy season. And so uh, keep encouraging each other, pray for each other. And uh, man, really, really good, really good stuff. Love seeing you guys be creative, uh, not letting this obstacle keep you down. And then it's almost November 3rd, (laughs) right? We just state the obvious and let us pray. (laughs) It's just, you know, when we we are in these turmoil times, these tumultuous times, uh, let me just encourage you not to get caught up in the emotion of the moment. Do your duty. Do what God's called you to do. But at the same time, as followers of Jesus... Right? We talked about this last week. Speak and act as those who have been set free undeservedly. Right, That's who we are. So when we look at the world around us in these moments, you and I, we bring the joy. We bring the positivity. We bring the different option for the world to look at because we've been set free. That our God sits on the throne in heaven is not surprised by any of this. In fact, it fits with exactly what he said would happen, right? All those who are godly will suffer persecution, right? So so like none, none of that surprises the Lord, but we do know as we've been looking in James that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, and so we have much to be thankful for. And as Mallory said, even just having our gatherings and being with each other is in its own way a miracle, and it feeds us, and so... Really good stuff. But I do want to pray as we dive in and pray for our leaders, pray for our country, but most importantly to pray for the church, the capital C church around this country and really around the world, that in this moment we have such an opportunity, not, not for our big gatherings to make a statement, but for the body of Christ to be in the world, in the hedges and highways as the scripture tells us compelling people, that there is a different choice, that there is another way, there's a higher way uh, that sits above and brings peace, right? I just love what the psalmist says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so you can have strength today, you can have joy today, and uh, it can be a great week if you have your vision up, amen? So let me pray for us and pray for uh, this week in our country, no matter what happens, And then we'll dive into James chapter 2. Let's pray together. God, thank you for every single person within the sound of my voice, whether they be in the room here, whether they are watching online with us right now, or maybe we'll catch this later on YouTube or the podcast. Uh, What an amazing thing that you can use the miracle technology to further your kingdom, further your gospel. And so we pray that you would plant those gospel seeds through it. And Holy Spirit, in this moment, As we think about our country and the week that sits ahead of us, and we pray for our country. We pray that you would draw people to yourself. I just pray that this moment would cause all of us to recognize that we are not in control. And rather than produce fear, I pray it would drive us to our knees. That people for the first time would recognize that their hope does not lie in a human but in God who became flesh and went to the cross to be the sacrifice for our shortcomings, for our sin. And that you loved us enough to seek us out and to save us, to redeem us. So I pray that no matter what happens on November 3rd, that Holy Spirit, you would move in your church all across this country. That, yes, we would love to see the people of this country turn towards you. But we recognize that we live in a broken world with broken people and broken leaders. And so we pray for wisdom. We pray for discernment for the church, for the body of Christ, for our leaders, for this country. Just all of the things that lie before us. But we also confess that apart from you, we can do nothing as your word reminds us. So as we abide in you and you in us, I pray that that would be the thing in this land that we call home would make the difference because we just recognize, Lord, that we are citizens of a different kingdom. And I pray that you'd help us to believe that, to trust that, to trust you and not in man. So help us and keep our vision, our eyes fixed on you, that we might have proper perspective, that we might have courage and joy and boldness and strength in who you are, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Holy Spirit, would you be with us now as we open your word? Would you speak to us? Help us to see wonderful things in your word. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me start by asking you a question. Have you ever thought about the question, who are you? I mean, I think we all have at some point. But really, thinking through, who are you at the center of your being? Right? These moments in life that cause us disruption, that cause us to stop what is normal, And do something completely different, even if just for a season, can kind of cause us to turn inward and to begin to think about who it is that we are. Who are you at the core of your being? Have you ever thought about that? It's really a big theoretical question. I get that. But if you really think about it, we even use this language. We we kind of understand and we use this inherently just in who we are. We're constantly thinking about that. We say things about people like this. Well, their true colors came through, right? We know what that means. We know what we're saying, that we've been seeing something on the outside, but then something else happens and we say, ah, now I see your true colors. Now I know who you really are. Or we'll say that on its own. We'll look at somebody, we'll make a judgment, we'll say that's who they really are. So we understand this kind of language, and if you've never considered that about your own self, I would invite you to consider that this morning. Think about who are you? The Bible tells you who you are. Most of us don't live with that view in mind, right? Because before you get to that good news There's always bad news, right? That's what the gospel does. It holds up in front of you who you really are, and you get a clear picture of that, and you know who Christ is and who he can make you. But we have to sit with that. Who am I? Because here's the reality, is in our experience in this life, right? The Bible says that we all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, Every single human on planet Earth, it's why we aren't shaken by the turmoil in our country or what happens on November 3rd, no matter what. We don't get shaken because we understand that in this perspective, we are creatures and he's the creator and we are short of what he intended for his creation because we sin. And that's who we are down deep. But in our experiences, as you and I live, we really are shaped by our desires. We're really shaped by the things that deep down we really love. Every one of us has those desires deep within us that shape who we are, that shape the rituals and practices and habits and routines that we choose every day, every week, every month. It's who we are because it shapes everything we do. And if you really think about it, those desires, those things are all oriented around this this picture, this vision that we have for our life of the good life, right? Like what we really believe on the inside is going to make us happy. We develop habits that lead us to that place. And it's really subconscious most of the time. And then there'll be times in your life where things are disrupted and you will make obvious changes to recenter on what your vision of having a good life is, what will actually make you happy. There's a vision in your heart for that and your habits and routines will end up reflecting that. That's why every new year, whether you think it's cheesy or not, we, we think about whether we ever do them or not is a different story, but we at least entertain the fresh start and humanity, our whole country will come around this idea that it's a new year. You've all heard it, right? When is 2020 going to end, right? I was listening to somebody last week and they were talking about it and they were saying, you know, we, we've got this coming up in a month and, you know, in just a few months, uh, we'll be five years into the year 2020. And, you know, it's like that's what it feels like sometimes. And so we we get that and we enjoy those new starts. But it's because of that thing happening inside of you that wants this better life, that wants this different reality than perhaps the one you're experiencing. And as you come to the second half of James chapter 2, so if you have a Bible, you can meet me there. You can get on the YouVersion Bible app and follow along. If you go under events, you'll find the notes for today. But in the second half of James chapter 2, we're confronted with that same question, but from a biblical point of view. James is really going to ask us the question, is our faith? Is my faith, is your faith real? Is my faith real? Because it's one thing to say that you have faith. It's one thing to say that you believe in Jesus. It's a completely different thing to have fruit coming out of your life that would match that statement. True? Who are you? James is going to drill into that question from a faith perspective. And he's probably going to step on all of our toes. So just get ready. But who are you? Who has really formed you into who you are? That's our question that James is going to ask. And so in light of those questions, look at James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14. Here, Here he goes right after it, and he says this What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? And then here's the question Can such faith save him? What good is it to say you have faith but nobody can see that truth? Verse 15. He gives us an example if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed. What a nice thing to say. But you don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? In the same way faith, if it does not have works, is dead... By itself. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You believe that God is one. Good. (laughs) I love that. It's an exclamation point in my Bible. Good. That's a good thing. You should believe that good but listen to this even the demons believe and they shudder so even the demons have faith and even the even the demons have fear even the demons believe in shudder. verse 20 senseless person senseless person are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by his works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? And then here's the climax of what James is trying to say in verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. the good life. What is it? Who are you? And James is asking you the question, and chances are, if you're sitting within the sound of my voice today, that you at some level believe that there is a God. And I want to dial into that. And what I want you to consider, I want you to look at is there are three kinds of faith that James presents to us here. Three different kinds. So I want you to write these down because I want you to think about them. And then I'm going to give you some other scriptures to go with it. And then I really want to come at the end and challenge you about your faith. But who am I? What kind of faith do I have? James asks a really important question at the beginning and he says, What good is it if someone claims to have faith, but there's nothing to show for that? Can that kind of faith save him? It's a really interesting question because a lot of people throughout the centuries have looked at what James is saying here and at what Paul said in places like Ephesians or Romans, right? Romans chapter eight, you know, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. We believe that, right? It's a good place to say amen, right? We believe that. But James is challenging an assumption here that we might be in danger of that if we are saved, that we can do whatever we want and there's no repercussions for that. And what James is going to say is, no, 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 there's actually three kinds of faith here and you've got to consider which camp you fall in because it has eternal consequences. And so the first one here that he describes right off the bat is probably the most obvious. And if you're taking notes, it's this, it's dead faith, dead faith, right? And, and we understand what this is. We would, we would look at a person who is maybe an atheist or, you know, believes in a different God and we would say, you don't actually have faith at all because faith is dead without the fruit of Jesus in your life. We might even say about somebody who calls himself a Christian but lives a completely different lifestyle that you don't actually have faith because of what James says here. If someone claims to have faith but does not have anything to show for that faith, can that faith really save him? And I think if you are any kind of serious Christian, we would look at that and we would say, no, not really. You can't claim to have faith, just do nothing about it, and think you're good. We, we, we kind of understand that. I think the best way for us to think about that is an unsubstantiated claim, right? It, it'd be like me telling you that I can dunk a basketball. And you'd be like, that's an unsubstantiated claim until I watch you dunk a basketball. And 10 years ago, I could have proved that claim. Not so sure about today, all right? But we understand what that is, and it's probably the most obvious about people of faith, right? An unsubstantiated claim. There's nothing, that you have nothing to show for the fact that you claim to believe. Think about it this way. You can throw up Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, right? This is one of Paul's great spots where he explains to us what the gospel is, right? And this marriage of faith and works and how they relate to each other. Look at what it says. It says, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, right? Very clear. You and I at the salvation table bring nothing to the party, not a single thing, except for maybe our bad, (laughs) our sin, not from works so that no one can boast. And the reason that it's so clear, helpful for us to think about the fact that we have nothing to do with the salvation that God's given us is that we are easily confused and we easily like to take the credit, right? And that's just the way we are as human beings. But it says no one can boast about this because it's completely God. God makes the first move. God is the one who secures salvation, all of that. But then look at the relationship it has to how you live your life. Look look at this. This is really important. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Right? And so there is a healthy marriage between the fact that God saved you and you had nothing to do with it and what happens when grace comes into your life. I mentioned last week that grace always shows itself, and this is why. Because it is literally who you were created to be. And that's going to look different for every single one of you. And all the different places that you find yourself in that I'll never be, and that I find myself in that you'll never be, and God works through his body in that way. You were created for that. That's what it looks like when Scripture says in Matthew 5 that you are a city set on a hill, that you're a light on a lampstand, and it literally says you cannot be hidden. So what James is saying is if Jesus taught us that we're a city on a hill that literally cannot hide itself, wouldn't it make sense then if I'm a Christian and I've been created as the workmanship of the God of the universe to walk in good things, to walk in good works, that they would show themselves if God's grace has truly come into my heart. That's all that makes sense, right? That if grace comes into your life, and for those of us who have experienced the grace of God in our life, we understand, yeah. I read a verse last week, and Paul says, but for the grace of God I am who I am. When you hold nothing tightly because you recognize that it's all his and he's created all things for him, by him, and through him, everything gets easier. Because when grace goes in, it always shows itself. It always flows through because it's who we are. It's not it's not works for salvation because once you're saved and you recognize that it's literally who you've been created to be, it's not work. That's why Jesus can say, uh, if you will yoke with me, if you will tie up with me, you'll recognize that my burdens are light and my yoke is easy. Not because you're going to suddenly have an easy life, but because the good life and the definition of the good life radically changes. When you are In Christ. When grace goes in, it always shows itself. So so these unsubstantiated claims, we're concerned not because we want to condemn people or yell at people for how they're acting, but because an unsubstantiated claim about faith is dangerous. That if you want to claim the name of Christ, but nobody knows it, we're concerned for you. And I just want to challenge you, if that's you today, if if you've been calling yourself a Christian and, and you are living an unsubstantiated life, I want you to know that that song we sang about the reckless love of God, that Jesus leaving the 99 to go after the one is still true for you. That if God's grace if you will just look Jesus in the eye and surrender your life to Him and allow Him to live in you and through you, that grace will show itself in your life and it will change you. I don't know where you're at today, but I have to believe that at least a few of us, whether in the room or online, at least a few of us are faking it. It's just the reality in any group of people that gather that there's somebody that needs to know that they don't have to fake it anymore. That we, You don't need that unsubstantiated claim. You don't need to worry about what we think of you. But I do want to ask you today to look at your life and ask yourself, am I living a faith that is unsubstantiated? Am I faking it because... Listen, friend, like don't fake it. Jesus would tell the churches in Revelation that the thing that he hates the most is somebody who's just caught in the middle, who's trying to please both sides, who's lukewarm, as Scripture calls it. And Jesus says, I, I would actually rather vomit you out of my mouth than for you to be caught in the middle because you're wasting everybody's time at that point. Faith without works, can that faith save him in the rhetorical question? The answer is no. And not because you need to work harder, try harder, but because you need to look Jesus square in the eye and recognize that you are a sinner and that all the things that are out there in life that you have chased will not deliver on the promise that they offer. You will not be satisfied in the things of this world. They will always come up short. Only Jesus can deliver on the promise. And so let me say it this way. Maybe today you're here, but you're not here. I would encourage you to look to Jesus in this moment. So dead faith, but dead faith can turn quickly into the second kind of faith that James talks about. And if you're taking notes, number two, it's demonic faith. We often don't think about this especially in terms of living out our own life, that there's actually a category of faith where we can believe and we can declare and we can actually have a fear of God and not be a part of the family of God, right? I love what James says here because it cuts through all the crap, right? Because so so many Christians are good at we just, we pontificate and we, we bring all these different viewpoints and worldviews and all these things and we will we'll debate and we'll do all these things. But at the end of the day, what do you do with Jesus? James is bringing us back to this point and saying, you know, it's even fine for you to have all the right answers and still not know Jesus. It's still possible what he says in verse 18, he says, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. Why? Because he says this, you believe that God is one, great. Great. So so you, you, you know the right answer. Great. But guess what? Even demons believe that. Even demons believe that God is God and they shudder. So listen, there, there, there may be a whole nother group of people listening to me right now that you actually know that God is God. You're not confused about that. The, the reality is you just don't like it. You don't, you don't like the things that he said. You don't want to change the things that he has told you to change. And listen, I get it. There, there, there are things that, that are difficult, right? I said it earlier. God comes and he says, he says to Timothy, listen, when you are pastoring, make sure people know that anyone who is godly is going to suffer persecution. You will not right write this American experience experiment called Christendom where our founding fathers were, were uh, building our country on Christian principles like that. You recognize that that's not going to last because humans apart from Christ are enemies of the cross you you will not be able to be popular for your entire life and truly follow Jesus. You will not be able to have a life where you get everything your physical body wants all the time and follow Jesus. It's just not possible. And that's a huge part of what God holds in front of you. Now don't hear me say that you can't be happy. Don't hear me say that you can't have joy. Don't hear me say that you can't be satisfied. None of those things are true. You actually will find that when you surrender all those things, you're afraid to surrender to the Lord, that you actually will then find the good life that you're searching for. Because freedom isn't getting to be free to do whatever you feel like. According to the Bible, freedom is doing what you were created for. That you will only actually feel fully free doing the thing that God created you to do. Because you are His workmanship created in Christ for good works. So we don't, like James is saying here, we don't do them just to do them. We do them because it's who we are. You are saved by faith alone. That's clear. James says that in chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. He's not confused about that, but we are not saved by a faith that remains alone. Grace always shows itself. I think one of the craziest things pictures of this is Judas, right? Judas Iscariot with Jesus. Think about spending three years face to face with the son of God. Judas knew that God was who he says he is. Judas knew that Jesus was God. He knew that. But if you go to Matthew chapter 26, right? And you start thinking about what happened when Judas came to Jesus in the garden and he betrayed him. Listen to this. In in Matthew, it says this in verse 49. So immediately he, Judas, went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Think about what was happening in that moment. Judas knew what was right, and he didn't like what was right. Look at Jesus' friend. Jesus asked him, Why have you come? Then they came up and took hold of Jesus and arrested him. You ever think about, like, what, what? How did that happen? How could, how could Judas spend several years in the inner circle and not get it? Face to face with the Son of God, miracles, crazy stuff. Because it's entirely possible to know that God is God, not like that, and deny it. You're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. And that's incredibly important because it's entirely possible to have the right answers and be totally wrong. Isn't it? But then there's a third option. You know, if grace always shows itself, what's the third option? If there's dead and demonic faith, what's the... It's got to be a third D, right? (laughs) I mean, I'm not preaching if I don't get another D dynamic faith right because the the third option is that you see all of those things and you actually are you actually meet the son of god the holy spirit actually moves into your life and begins to change things because grace always shows itself look at verse 21 again he talks about abraham think about that what 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 brings a dad to the place that he's willing to take his son, tie him up, put him on an altar, and hold a knife up? An unyielding trust that God the Father is good. We sang that song about the goodness of God. That That is the thing that will change the way you live your life. You want to live without fear of man? You want to live without fear of what happens on November 3rd? You have to look up and begin to see and trust in the goodness of God, recognizing that he sits outside of time. He sees all of eternity. And the Bible says in Romans that he's working all things together for good to them that love him. And without that perspective, things around here, around here right now look like a crazy town, doesn't it? Without there being something above all of that, we miss it. And so in just a minute, I'm going, to have, I'm going to have the band actually come back up. And in a moment, we're going to sing that song again because I want you to sing it differently. I want you to think about the things that are being said. But as they come up, I want to read two more verses to you about what that looks like. Because what is it, what's the difference then of somebody living in their faith versus somebody with dead faith or demonic faith even, knowing the right answer and not living it out? What does that actually look like? Listen to what um, John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know That we have come to know love, right? What is the way that I recognize that I've got it? It's a very important question, isn't it? How do I know that I know that I know? (laughs) How do I get there? This is how we know we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. Jesus is always the standard. Jesus is always the place we look. Our vision always goes up first. We love God. And then here it is, that we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need and withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. How do you know if you know him? You have a love for his people. You have a love for his people. How do we know that God's love is in us? By how you love the people around you. That's how. What does that look like, Pastor? What what does that look like? I love the way Paul tells his friends in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says this, I labor for this. He's saying all the same things we've been talking about in Colossians. He says, I labor for this. It's hard work, striving with what? His strength that works powerfully within me. How do I know that I have it? By living with him and allowing him to live through you that he powerfully works within you. And as the band starts to play and we're going to sing that song, I would be totally missing the boat if I didn't ask you to think about which kind of faith you have. If you're sitting in the room and you're thinking about that, do you have a dead faith, is, is your faith just an unsubstantiated claim? Is there just no proof that you're a follower of Jesus. You have no concern for the things of God and the people of God. I would say you don't need to feel guilty today, but you need to recognize, you need to look into, as we studied earlier, you need to look into the mirror and be honest with yourself that you do not know God. And I would just invite you, if that's you today, to surrender your life to Him. He's calling you To himself, he's a good father. He loves his kids. And where perhaps your father or those of us who are fathers fall short in this life, God the Father never falls short. He loves you. He gave up his son that you could have life. Maybe you're in that second category today. You know God is God, but you are. You're not happy about that. You want to live your own life and do your own thing. Can I just encourage you today that God's law is a hammer that will continue to hit this nail on the head until you surrender to it think about the demon that was living inside of a man in the scripture and when jesus walked up to that person the demon actually spoke and said what do you want with me because even the demons shudder they know and so even if there are as ephesians says powers of the darkness of this world at work in your heart I just really believe that the Holy Spirit can break through that and speak to you in this moment, that no matter what's going on in your life, that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you will trust Him, if you will surrender to Him, He can change those things that are in your life. He can right the wrong. Maybe you've been wrong. He can right that wrong in Christ. And so I don't know where you're at today, but if you don't have a dynamic, a living and alive faith within you that is tangible and expressing itself, that there's no shame here today. That's the beauty of the gospel is that it's good news that Jesus came to set the captive free. He came to redeem a people for himself. And so wherever you are today, Maybe you're watching online, wherever you are. Can I just encourage you in this moment to not just think about this, but to take a step. To take a step of faith, as scripture calls it. To surrender. The Bible says, if you will call upon the name of the Lord. That if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped out of heaven, He gave up all those rights willingly. He still had them. He was still God. But he chose to set them aside and come to earth. Because he had every single one of his own kids on his mind. The Father did. And so he sent the Son. And Jesus had his brothers and his sisters, his body on his mind as he lived the life that you and I could not, cannot live if you are falling short of living a satisfied, a happy, a joyful life, I want you to know that it's because you're doing it on your own terms. And that apart from Christ, you're not going to find what you're looking for. And listen, all of us, at some point or another, we play the game. We play the game and we act like we're fine and we're not fine. And I just want you to know that this is the safest place for you to be, listening to the word of God, being in the center of his will with his people all around you. Let me encourage you today to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God, that he was raised from the dead that first Easter so that you would not have everlasting separation from him, but that you would have everlasting life with him. And it's so simple that it's easy to miss. (laughs) That when you recognize just how broken you are, that it's tempting to just stay there and just recognize how broken you are. I am. I've probably let almost all of you down at some point or another. But listen, I'm just a guy who knows the guy and if you want to experience life to the full, all that there is in this life, you don't need me, you don't need a great church, because the church is great. Not because any one of us, but because together we are the body of Christ. And so if that's not reality for you, or maybe you have thought it was reality for you, but as you think about it, it's an unsubstantiated claim, I just want to lead you in this moment to make that decision, to just surrender to what God's already doing in your life. So if you're in the room, would you just stand with me and just bow your head and close your eyes? Not because there's anything special about that, but because we do it because we don't want to be distracted in this moment. If you're online watching this or maybe you listen to this on the podcast or you're standing right here in the room. I just want to encourage you to dig into your heart because in about five minutes you're going to walk out of here and you're going to be distracted immediately by the things and cares of this world. And if you do not know Jesus as your Father, your Brother, your Lord, your Savior, if He's not come into your life and transformed who you are, if that good life is just outside of reach. I just want to encourage you to surrender to Him right now in this moment, to confess with your mouth. You don't have to do it out loud. You can if you want to. We would love that. But to just in this moment, talk to Him. Just tell Him in the quietness of your soul that you recognize that you're a sinner. You recognize that as you've been doing it your own way, that Things are not going the way you thought they would go, the way that you want them to go. And you know that against the reason of this world, (laughs) that Jesus is who he says he is. He's speaking to your heart right now, softening it, bringing you home to the family of God. And I just encourage you to surrender to that and pray to Him right now and say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need you in my life. Will you rescue me? Will you redeem me? Will you bring me into your family? I believe that you're God. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I want your joy, the joy of the Lord, to be my strength. If you've never prayed that or never surrendered to that, I encourage you to do that right now. And then I want you to tell somebody. If you're in the room and you made that decision, I would love to meet you in the back right after church. We'd love to give you a Bible and start you on your journey with Christ. I don't care if I know you, if I've known you for years and you've just been playing the game. Nothing would make us happier than to start that journey today with you. Let me talk to a second group of people, those of us that are Christians, those of us that know Christ. We've seen the grace of God come in. The prodigal son story is in the Bible too. Many of us, we know the truth and we've lived in it, we've experienced it, but we, at times, we walk away from it because we're human. And I just encourage you and invite you Maybe you're caught up in this political season, this this excessive worry about the things of this world. And can I just ask you to repent from that? It's a sin to not trust in God when you know who He is. And can I just invite you, repentance is simply this. It's not a dirty word. It just means I've seen something. I've changed my mind. I'm going to turn around and go the other way. Probably every single one of us that calls ourselves a Christian, there's something in your life that the Holy Spirit is speaking to, and we just need to stop, turn around, and go the other way. There is zero reason for the children of God to live in fear, to live in slavery, to any sin, to any thought process, to anything. The Bible says you are completely free in Christ. So it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So walk in that freedom. That's what the scripture tells you. So if you are not free and you are a child of God right now, I just encourage you to speak to him. Speak to him in this moment and say, Father, I know that you are who you are, but I am not free. Will you set me free in this moment that I might live without fear, that I might not be a slave to that sin that I struggle with, Would you just lay that on the altar? The Bible says you can crucify your flesh with Christ. Just do it right now in the quietness of your heart with the Lord. In your soul, just crucify your flesh. Today's a new day in Christ. The Bible says His mercies are new every single morning. Father, as we stand together as your body in this moment, we are moved by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And we believe that you are who you say you are. We trust that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and that no matter what this world says, no matter what this culture offers, that all of it pales in comparison to you. We love you. We trust you. We expect you to show up in our lives because grace always shows itself. We were created for this. It's who we are. And above all of it, we trust that because we know that you're good and that you are God and that we are not. We love you. Come on, church, let's sing this out and then I'll, I'll come back up to close this. Let's sing this out.